0: is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria.
1: The live export ship is going nowhere. The application submitted on
2: 26 January 2024 for the re-export of livestock on board the MV Bahaja to Israel via the Cape of Good Hope has not been approved by my
1: department. So the ship loaded with thousands of sheep and cattle is not allowed to set sail again to Israel. So what now? We're going to hear from those involved today on the Country Hour and I'd love to hear from you as well. Good afternoon, I'm Warwick Long. Also today he started harvest in November and yesterday one farmer finally finished and before he puts the boots up we're going to hear about the seemingly never ending although it's finally ended hasn't it harvest of gippsland in 23 24 that and a whole lot more plenty of rain falling in the northeast yesterday I've already got some figures coming through on the text there. You can certainly add to that. We'd love to have a chat to you. We'd love to hear about the figures uh, of rain today. Dean says he's recorded 80 millimetres of rainfall over the past 24 hours at Mount Beauty. And uh, we've got one from Clyde as well, 67 millimetres by midnight near Bright from Clyde. The bomb was quite accurate in their predictions, he says. Bright Township apparently got 80 millimetres and it's only... Two and a half kilometres away. Keep those texts coming. Let's talk live export and a whole lot more today on The Country Hour.
0: The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria.
1: Thousands of Australian sheep and cattle aboard a live export ship off the West Australian coast. Will remain on board after the federal regulator refused an application from an exporter. The animals have been on board the MV Bahaja for more than a month after it was ordered to turn back from its journey to the Middle East and is currently berthed in Fremantle. A few hundred cattle have been removed over the weekend, but around 14,000 sheep and 2,000 cattle remain on board and they will do so until a place is found for them in Australia when they will be finally unloaded. That's because Secretary of the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries Mr. Adam Fennessy has rejected an application for those ships, uh, for that ship to set sail again for Israel and he addressed the media shortly after that decision was made and here is what he said.
2: The application submitted on 26 January 2024 for the re-export of livestock on board the MV Bahaja to Israel via the Cape of Good Hope has not been approved by my department. This decision was made less than an hour ago and my priority has been to communicate this as soon as we could. The Departmental Regulator was unable to be satisfied in accordance with the Export Control Animal Rules that the requirements of the Export Control Act in relation to the export of livestock have been complied with or would be complied with before the livestock are imported into the imported country the regulator was unable to be satisfied that the importing country requirements relating to the livestock have been met or will be met before the livestock are imported into the importing country and was unable to be satisfied that the arrangements for the transport of the livestock to their final overseas destination are appropriate to ensure their health and welfare. In making this decision, the Departmental Regulator has considered all relevant information from a variety of sources. This decision-making required thorough and detailed engagement with the legislative scheme and consideration of all available evidence and submissions in real time as this complex situation evolved. The Department will publish more information on the reasons for this decision as soon as practicable. Separately, and in response to next steps, the Department is continuing to work with relevant stakeholders to manage the health and welfare of the livestock and uphold Australia's biosecurity. Throughout this whole process, Australia's biosecurity and the health and welfare of the animals on board have remained the Department's highest priorities. Applications to export live animals undergo complex assessments that balance Australia's biosecurity, export legislation, animal welfare considerations, and the requirements of our international trading partners. The livestock on the vessel continue to be in good health, and they remain under veterinary care and supervision. There is no suspicion of exotic pests or diseases within the livestock. The next steps for the livestock on board the vessel are commercial decisions for the exporter to make. A range of options remain available to the exporter and the Department stands ready to assess any future future application submitted by the exporter. Now that the regulatory decision has been made, my Department supports a resolution to this matter as quickly as possible and stands ready to respond to any further requests from the commercial exporter.
1: That is Adam Fennessy, the Secretary of the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries and Forestry speaking there. Have a listen to this, because I think the figures in this are important to listen to. It's good information. It's Dr Beth Cookson, the Chief Australian Veterinary Officer, who spoke yesterday afternoon after that decision was made. She gives details on the total amount of deaths aboard the vessel.
3: The
4: um, total number of uh, animals that have died do, does remain below the uh, reportable mortality level, as I have mentioned. Uh, this is 1% for sheep and 0.5% for cattle. Um, I can confirm that um, on board um, the vessel there have been uh, 51 deaths associated in the sheep. Um, and four in the cattle population. Uh, this, as I mentioned, um, is quite a low number considering the number of animals on board um, and within normal uh, ranges. Uh, and um, the deaths have been associated with conditions that wouldn't necessarily be unexpected in livestock production systems um, and um, farming practices. We, we continue to have no um, concern that there's exotic pestle diseases present in the population.
1: So that's Dr. Beth Cookson saying the deaths on that boat are very low, actually below reportable amounts, but then goes on to give details on exactly how many animals have died. Let's hear from industry now. Jeff Pearson is the livestock president with WA Farmers. He's been closely involved with this ship and the, the management of it as it's been off the shore of Western Australia. He told Lucinda Joes the application has been refused due to complications in Israel, and because of those complications, the Australian Department has had to refuse the application. Here he is going into those details.
5: Basically, we're in a situation where the Department have taken some time to, to come up with a decision, but what the uh, the biggest hurdle is now is that the apparently the Isra- an Israeli activist uh, organisation has put an injunction um, into the uh, Israeli government, to uh, um, not allow um, the animals or not allow the government to uh, list an importing permit to uh, import those uh, cattle into Israel.
6: That's extraordinary. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yesterday, you sounded really confident that the permit would be approved. Is this a shock to you?
5: It is, it is. I mean, we we did everything we, we can. We pulled out all stops to reduce the stocking density of the of the, uh, the livestock vessel uh, at the Department's request in anticipation that we would be able to uh, uh, continue on with the voyage with the existing animals on the ship. Uh, and now we're in a situation where I think uh, the, as, as early as Sunday, uh, this activism group has gone to the courts uh, um to put an injunction into um, not allowing the uh, the importation of these livestock into israel i believe that it's um it's been submitted to the courts on as early as uh sunday just gone um and I also believe that there's a there's a, a hearing in a couple of days time um, to, to determine the outcome of whether this injunction needs to be uh, submitted or, or overruled Basically, I think while uh, these, this injunction is in place, it, it doesn't allow uh, the Israeli government to issue a permit uh, to import uh, these livestock into um, into the country, and therefore our government uh, can't uh, in, in, um, submit a export uh, permit to while well, this is in place.
6: So, while the legal process is in place, things have to be in a holding pattern.
5: That's correct.
6: As part of the re-export application, was there a plan B for the animals if they couldn't be unloaded in Israel?
5: It was always it was always the the, 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 the decision that we've been waiting for. The department, there's two options here: the one was to re-export, which was which was the preferred option, uh, and the department um, had that high on the agenda, or to unload the livestock. Now, uh, due to you know, biosecurity issues that with the Potential issues with which we, which I might add were very low. Um, you know the the industry and and exporter and, and department you know had every intention of of trying to uh, re-export these cattle with a lower and, and sheep with a lower stocking density. So uh, that was always high on the agenda. But what we're dealing with now is a totally different issue, um, which has just arisen you know, quickly. Which is something that we we never saw coming. Uh, and um, you know we're, we're dealing with this as it is now as a totally different situation.
6: Yes, and and what happens now?
5: Uh, well, the excuse me, the options are to um, to uh, obviously now we will have to on, offload the livestock. Um, yeah, we, we've already offloaded a percentage of, um, of of cattle off the off the ship, but no sheep. Um, so we're in a situation now where we've we've got to find a home for. Um, the sheep, uh, preferably a quarantine uh, facility that, uh, that that they that they came from, but understanding that there's uh, a, a, a other sheep in those quarantine facilities as we speak um, that need to be shifted out before we can before we can discharge the livestock, the sheep livestock from the, the ship um, yeah, as soon as, as soon as we c- we can. But um, the future of of the sheep will be. Um, I, Either re-export or process. Um, I believe that we can we can process them here. Um, there's there's, there's um, discussions going on with processes at the moment to um, to be able to, to to process those sheep. But the cattle, I'd say, will uh, wait by some time uh, back at the registered premises and um, and look at re-exporting into Israel when things sort themselves out.
6: But it is your expectation that all of those animals will definitely come off the ship. Yeah,
5: yeah. I think that's that we 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 can't get around that. Now the department have uh, have ordered them to uh, to be discharged.
6: When will that happen?
5: Uh, As soon as we can get some space, uh, I reckon you should probably be looking at the next three or four days.
6: Jeff, do you feel that this situation will um, put further? Uh, complications into the future of live export for sheep in Western Australia and, and Australia.
5: Yeah, Lucinda, it doesn't help um, the situation. You know, when we had our markets established and, and had been established for a very long time, uh, any disruption puts puts any puts any market in jeopardy. Um, so yeah, commercially, I think there's there's been some impact on in the political space and also you know in, in the sovereignty space as well. So. Yeah, ultimately, it, it's it's not a good not a good situation.
1: That is livestock president with WA farmers Jeff Pearson speaking there with Licinda Joes. What do you make of that? The livestock ship. The live export ship off the coast of Western Australia, which had to return, has not been granted another export license to take those animals to Israel via the Cape of Good Hope. That means the ship will eventually be unloaded in the coming days to and uh, a new home for those animals will have to be found. A statement from the Live Exporters Council implored the Department of Agriculture to be clear in its next steps, which it says has been done in announcing the vessel won't be re-exported via the Cape of Good Hope. The council condemned activist groups like the RSPCA, their words, for spreading misinformation about the condition of the animals on board. The RSPCA has also released a statement saying it's relieved the livestock won't be taken back out to sea. Uh, You're listening to The Country Hour. I also want to hear from you about your rainfall figures as well. You can send them through.
0: On ABC Radio Victoria, you're with Warwick Long for the Victorian Country Hour.
1: Many of you want to have your, your figures out there, Alex. at 7 12.5 millimetres. That's some good rain for southern New South Wales there. Chris at Benambra, 40 millimetres says it's freshening things up nicely. You, I do love when a little bit of explanation goes on with a rainfall report too, Chris. So gold star to you. Robert Chilton. 50 millimeters, beautiful. Tanks are full. Gold star to you too, Rob. Uh, Howard's had 30 millimeters at uh, Beechworth too. One man who's probably had enough of rainfall figures is a person who had an extraordinarily long harvest, which only came to an end yesterday. Yes, that's right. A harvest that started, well, in spring last year has ended in uh, the last month of summer, uh, Trent Anderson can join you from uh, Gifford West in Gippsland to talk about his harvest right now. Hi, Trent. How you going, Warwick? Where do we find you at the moment? Uh, I've actually
7: pulled up on top of a hill, so the uh, yeah, <laughs> phone doesn't drop out. <laughs> uh, uh, just, just about got a yeah, just back the head of home in the shed. Yeah,
1: so that must be a good feeling after what has been an extraordinary long harvest. Tell us the story of this year.
7: Yeah, no, it has been a long one. It uh, The story sort of goes back a bit. We, we had that dreadfully dry winter and into spring that everyone sort of talked about. We are on like a decile one year to that point, and uh, so we'd already had some fairly uh, drought-damage-type crops and things, but we got to the 1st of October, and then the weather gods decided to catch up on all the rain we'd missed out on, and we've run about decile 10 for October, November, December. Uh so, yeah, what well, crops were a little bit ordinary to start with, I've uh, then contended with about 400 mil of rain in three months. So it's it's been a, a long journey. All the rain you wanted in winter came too late. Yeah, it's – yeah, they couldn't have uh, – it couldn't have been more untimely, really. Like the uh, the grass country went from completely brown. We've called it a, an autumn in in summer. Basically, we went from from completely finished to uh, completely green again. So, yeah. But anyway, so it's it is. <laughs> these things happen, and uh, and then uh, whilst it rained, it was an interesting rain for us. We don't normally get it. They were just big dumps and spaced about a fortnight apart. We were getting. I think it opened with about one hundred mil early October, and then every fortnight we get another fifty mil. And uh, through December, when we should have been harvesting canola, we couldn't find the sun, it was actually dry enough to to do it, but the moisture wouldn't come down, and then by the time the moisture come down, then we couldn't get on the paddocks. So uh, I think we made one, did one day in November and then hardly moved the headers until late December. Wow, so so what was so yeah.
1: your official first day of harvest if we count the day in November? Yeah,
7: that would have been the 30th of November, I think it was. So but, the
1: 30th of November, yeah. a very short start to harvest. Then again, yeah. Then all that rain. When did you really get going on the bulk of it all? Uh, we never really got
7: going. That's probably the best way that we just – we get – so the headers have averaged sort of a day a week since we started, if that actually this time around. But it got – Once it got really wet, we then tried... My brother-in-law had some dual centres, so I raced up to Mullamine and grabbed those and ripped some tyres off a tractor I had at home, but that proved unsuccessful. They weren't wide enough, so another trip back to Mullamine and got some tyres off a mate of his that made us fairly wide, um... And that so, helped, but, it, it, yeah, we were still – it just got you further in before you got bogged, basically. So, it's yeah, it's so, been a journey.
1: Yeah, you you were experimenting, really, with different equipment to try and make sure you could get on and off paddocks. That's that's the kind of year you've had.
7: Yeah, yeah. So, that's – we've never, ever had uh, – it's the first time I've ever bogged a header, uh, and, I don't know, we we stopped counting, but we'd have been pulled out over 100 times between the two headers this year
1: i was about to ask you how many times you thought you got bogged but you think you've been bogged over 100 times
7: Uh, easily there was days we were pulling out sort of 10 times a day yeah they weren't bad bad bogs they just wouldn't back themselves out but uh yeah i had a couple of serious ones that we we sort of put five or six hours into what was uh, the worst uh uh, where i managed to slide headers have a mind of their own when you're getting into the wet weather and i managed to uh try and go backwards and did a 90 degree pirouette and parked the header with the comb sitting on an embankment and the and the front wheels bogged in the gully so that one took a fair bit of uh maneuvering to get it out
1: i bet <laughs> i bet um, <laughs> and then in terms of the the performance i suppose of your crops we've spoken to you over, it feels like this, this sort of half a decade has been extraordinary for you, Trent. You, you had that terrible drought, almost the driest part in the state for, for a long time down in Gifford West. It's been wet for a couple of years now. Um, how how does this year stack up in terms of what you've been able to get off and its quality compared to some of those other years? Yeah,
7: it's it's actually ended up, uh, and, and this goes right through the district this year this is pretty much everyone i'm talking to this is our worst harvest on record um, both yield wise and quality wise Um, it just and there's a little bit of we want to talk with our agros and see no one's exactly sure we think most of it's just ended up on the ground because we do think it was there in the first place but just the the amount of rain events um, and the amount of wind we've had and that sort of thing, it just appears as though it's all shaken out on the ground. So uh, we sort of had wheat crops that looked, you know, probably four-tonne crops, and then we thought a little bit, you know, the way the dry finish had, but they're only going a tonne to the hectare. So it's, um, yeah, it's been a lot of damage done.
1: So going through a year like this, and and your head is fairly new, isn't it, too, in terms of the capacity you've got to, to harvest. It should have been faster this year
7: yeah so we doubled our header capacity uh 12 months ago when we had a a lot what looked like a wet harvest coming up and we've yeah in the last two summers it's been the two longest harvests we've ever had and that's with double the header capacity so yeah we we haven't had a lot of sunshine down here warwick (laughs) or not a lot of heat we get sunshine we just uh i'm wondering where these global warming days are
1: uh, actually, there's a few texts along those lines from uh, people wondering the same about where summer's gone. Stephen and Kerwa has a similar thing with a zero rainfall report, but asking about whether uh, summer's around either. Um, but take us through yesterday then. You finally finished har- harvest the 5th of February after starting on the 30th of November and at some time going one day a week, as you said, through through a frustrating, wet, boggy year. What was it like to finally get it done?
7: Yeah, a bloody relief, I can tell you. So, and uh, unknowingly, we saved the best for last too. So, uh, a Paddock of Beans, I'd never grown faba beans before, and uh lease of paddock in the little seaside town of Seaspray, and uh, it ended up coming back about four tonne to the hectare. So, I'm a pretty happy bean grower and have managed to finish the season on a high, which I suppose is the best way to finish it.
1: That, well, that's lovely to hear. What do you do now? Do you put your feet up?
7: No, no, mate, now we've got all the other jobs that we're now a month behind on, sort of got to catch up on. So, yeah, start start sorting out the livestock, blowing the gear down, and uh, we'll actually we'll actually pull the air seeder out, Warwick, and start sowing some early crops um, ready for next year. So, yeah, of, uh, this year I guess we're in. But uh, I do have one. I, I jumped in, I said to a bloke uh, when it was dry and I said if we get 100 mil of rain out of this I'm going to plant some maize and uh, we got 106 mil of rain so I've actually got a ripping maize crop uh dryly maize crop that'll be ready to harvest in another four to six weeks I think so yeah, there,
1: harvest is not quite done. There's a crop that certainly had a lot of in-season rain yeah you, when your winter crop grows into your summer crop for harvest you, you know it's been quite a year. Trent Anderson thank you so much for telling us about it though really appreciate you parking on the hill as the head is making its way home.
7: No worries at all. Cheers, Mark.
1: Trent Anderson there, Gifford West in Gippsland. Uh, Just finished the halves. What's that? Three months from start to finish. Absolutely incredible numbers to talk to about what the harvest is like. A lot of your texts coming in, uh, some on live export, some on rain. I'll read some of the live export ones now. Right beside each other, you have Cara in the New South Wales Hunter Valley. Love that you're listening to the Victorian Country out, Cara. says about 14,000 sheep, 2,000 cattle remaining. On the ship at Fremantle, a very complex situation. Personally, I'm relieved at the permit being refused for all of these animals to again start their journey. Thank goodness. Common sense, which isn't very common, seems to have prevailed. Fingers crossed, says Cara. Right next to that, though, is Jeff saying the irony is that the animal welfare bodies involved would have increased the risk of the suffering of the livestock who's running the country, says Jeff. And David Hamilton says, surprise, surprise, government gives approval to a boat to sail through the Red Sea, then, oops, better go home again. No funny business here. It's finished. Just what the government wants, says Dave from Hamilton, making a comment, really, that by keeping the boat here, uh, it works in possibly with the government's plan to phase out live exports anyway, Dave. I hope that's what I'm reading into your text because that's what I'm taking away from it. Jenny's on the line. Hi, Jenny.
8: Hello, Warwick. um, On the 5th of January, I think it was, that that boat left Mm. for Jordan. It's been a month. By then, then, the Red Sea blockade was well and truly established. Why? Why did they even think they could send them? Um, I'm so glad, and I agree with your first texter, that I'm just so glad common sense has prevailed. But
1: so you yes. think it's a, it's a good thing, Jenny, that these animals will... Uh, well, it sounds like it'll take three to four days. They'll be unloaded and they will a new home will either be found or they will be uh, put on feed until they're re-exported at a later date. Is that the best outcome here? No, the
8: best outcome is not to re-export something that has already had a journey of over a month. Uh, the cattle will need to be slaughtered. Were they destined to Israel in the beginning, the cattle? Because it seems absolute madness to think that you could send a load of cattle into a war zone where, you know, fighting was continuing all the time. The sheep will probably need to be slaughtered or quarantined. Um, It's really... So much can be learned from this Warwick, can't it?
6: Yes.
1: Jenny, thank you so much for your call. Jenny in Wangaratta, 1300 977 if you'd like to call. We'll get to rural news. There's actually more information on the live export uh, in terms with a government response as well coming up for you in rural news. After that, the weather for you right now, though. Emma Field with Rural News. Good afternoon, Emma.
0: G'day Warwick. As we heard earlier, WA's livestock industry is reeling from the Federal Department of Agriculture's decision to deny an export permit for a live export ship seeking to transport thousands of livestock to the Middle East. The MV Behaji was carrying more than 15,000 sheep and cattle last month when it was ordered to return to Australia due to security concerns in the Red Sea. The department says the exporter submitted another application for a longer voyage around the Cape of Good Hope, but the application didn't meet its criteria under export control rules. WA Farmers President John Hassel accused the department of completely mishandling the situation.
7: Well, I
5: think it's an absolutely disgraceful decision. They had 19 days from the time that they decided to turn the vessel back. They've vaccinated, mucked around and played about and finally come to a decision completely messing everybody around. Well, I'm not sure that it hasn't been a deliberate act by the Department of Agriculture to do as much harm as they possibly can to the live trade. The ideal thing would have been to get them to their destination and unloaded as quickly as possible. The Department makes all these decisions with no thoughts whatsoever about what it's costing. And I think their whole decision making process has been straight out bloody disgraceful.
0: And in a statement, Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt says the decision was made independently of his office and it's now the responsibility of the exporter to decide what to do with the livestock on board. However, he encourages WA's meat processing sector to assist with dealing with the animals. To Queensland now, south of Burketown, near the Gulf of Carpentaria in the state's west, where residents from... Tyrannar Springs, Escot and Beansbrook have left their homesteads as the local disaster management group keeps an eye on nearby flooding river systems. Sam Daniels owns Escot Station and in the past two years his property has been flooded twice. He says it's an extremely rare event to get back-to-back floods at Escot, but so far it looks like this one won't be as bad as last year.
4: Safety's first, you know, so, you know, we relocated three family members and a governess into Birktown just to be safe. And uh, we've had a couple of our helicopter pilots there through the day. They've just been shifting a few cattle around and keeping an eye on everything. Uh, it's, you know, the it's rising still about five centimetres. An hour, but, um, you know, at this stage, you know, we're um, reasonably comfortable that it's not going to get to anywhere near the same levels as last year.
0: Meanwhile, in the Northern Territory, traditional owners from the surrounding areas of Timber Creek have arrived back from Darwin. They were evacuated during the floods and sent to temporary shelters. Timber Creek resident Clara Patty says it was good to get to Darwin for the last two weeks, but she's worried what they'll find when she returns. Ah, uh, really good. Yeah. We was at the hostel, Lee went They
4: to look out us there.
9: How does it feel to be back now?
4: Well, I'm happy now. I'm back with my grandkids. I came back here to see my dog, too. Might be life. <laughs> yeah.
9: Are you worried about your dog? Have you seen your dog yet?
4: No, i got to go back now because we just came back today, see. On the flight from Darwin, right back here.
0: Nearby, a contract mustering business in Timber Creek had close to 89 to 90% of their fences destroyed due to the floods. Rainy Holcomb says it's a costly and time-consuming cleanup as well as trying to find and secure stock. We have 30,000 acres of land here and at a guess at this stage 80 to 90% of our fencing has been destroyed, and that's our second year in a row as we had floods
6: here last year as well, so our, all our cattle and horses are free-ranging and uh, all unaccounted for at the minute.
0: And as you know was we probably don't talk enough about tallow, which has rendered animal fat a byproduct of our meat trade. Well, Australian tallow exports have exceeded $1 billion for the first time in 2023. It's sometimes known as dripping, which is used in food, cosmetics, cattle feed and even fuel products, making it one of the nation's most versatile yet unknown exports. Meat and Livestock Australia's Tim Jackson says two countries have been buying up big with Australian tallow.
1: The United States has recently seen the development of, of biofuel industries where tallow is an important Input to produce
4: the fuel in the last two or three years, slightly over half of our tallow has gone to the United States. The other large market for Australian tallow is Singapore,
1: and tallow is exported there partially for the biofuels purpose, but also for other industrial processes. And aside from those two, which would make up over 90% of tallow exports over the last few years, smaller amounts go to China and South Korea.
0: And I'm not sure about using tallow as cosmetics, but that wraps up rural news for this Tuesday.
1: That sounds awful. Uh, yeah, I'd rather cook the chips in it. Thanks very much for that, Emma Field, uh, there with rural news. Uh, we have a lot of texts coming in. We will go through some of those in a moment. Kevin's had 23mm at Myrtleford, though. Beautiful sunny day today. Robert has had 2mm at Huntley. Said rainfall for yesterday. Huge 2mm at Huntley. A few zeros as well uh daniel at mildura saying it's good spraying weather though uh another one says uh, ararat no rain recorded for february last one was two millimeters on the 26th of jan and 16 millimeters on the 17th of jan which is all good information as well so thanks for sending that through stephanie miles uh has weather information for you from the bureau of meteorology g'day stephanie how are you i got there eventually uh what's the weather (laughs) looking like today I mean, a bit of a difference from what we had yesterday, really. It feels very
10: settled across the state. There's a lot of cloud in the south, particularly that uh, Gippsland at the moment, but it has dried off quite a lot. There's not much on the radar. Just a big, big deck of cloud over there, and then the rest of the state, particularly in the north, looks really beautiful, sunny, nice weather, really, across the state
1: today, Warwick. And it, that's largely going to continue for the days ahead, will it?
10: Yeah, largely, definitely going to continue. It feels like there's not really all that much talk about in terms of where at the moment we have a nice big high pressure ridge over us which is probably going to keep the conditions very similar to what we have today so very much southerly winds across the state which means clouds south a little bit cooler in the south as well and then those really nice sunny afternoons for the north but look in terms of temperatures around the state in particular for today we're looking around the kind of low to mid-20s in the south or a little bit warmer in the high 20s in the north and then as the week progresses those temperatures kind of remain very similar in the south around the low to mid-20s but those ones in the north starting to edge up a little bit so about 30 degrees from Madura tomorrow and then on Thursday and Friday we're increasing once again we get up to about 35 on Friday for Madura in those northern parts so yeah look it's not much all that like you know in terms of sorry the weather it's not really changing all that much in particular over the next four to five days but we will start to see some sunny afternoons and some warmer temperatures towards the weekend however it's going to remain quite dry work.
1: Yeah. So, um, warnings. Wise. Anything on the on the forecast that we need to keep an eye
10: on? I mean, not particularly. we've got some strong winds over the East Gippsland coastal waters if you're out uh, on the waters today. But other than that, not really. Apart from that, perhaps keep an eye on your uh, you know fire, fire danger ratings too. They're still remaining quite north. Uh, sorry, high in those northern districts with the gusty kind of strongish southerly winds. But other than that. I think that's really all, unfortunately. I don't
1: really have much to say, Warwick. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's not a, a bad thing at all. And in terms of the rainfall figures, we've had huge figures coming from the, from the northeast over the last 24 hours. But is that largely the last of the big rain?
10: Very much, largely for the next year. To be honest, I was just looking at the outlook. It looks like we've got some dry conditions up on, you know, the next couple of weeks as well. So, yeah, at the moment, very much yesterday was our largest rainfall
1: of what we've got for
10: what's coming up.
1: Brilliant, Stephanie. Always appreciate the update. Thanks very much.
10: Thanks so much, Warwick. Enjoy your
1: day, Stephanie Miles. There from the Bureau of Meteorology. We we're just talking about the late Gippsland harvest, or well, the extraordinary long harvest for one farmer in Gippsland. We're about to talk about vintage there, suddenly getting away. I do have this text though saying it's great. He's finally finished. Just wondering where the farmer lives um, who was just finished Gifford West, uh, but he's, it was the last paddock was in sea spray, so south of sail think is what you'd call that, wouldn't you? South of sail uh, for sea spray. Uh, and uh, lovely to hear uh, that he has finished, says his text. Leo says, was a calm 485 millimeters at Gundowring. The watermelon patch is a thriving old mate, says Leo. Thank you very much for that, Leo, as well. And uh, I think I've got through the rest of those rainfall texts. We'll get to some more about the live export boat as we move on in the program. But as I said, we've just talked Gippsland Harvest. So let's talk Gippsland vintage now. Harvest will begin today for some wine grape varieties in Victoria's southeast growing region. Alistair Hicks is president of the industry group Wine Gippsland and runs Blue Gables Vineyard with his wife Catherine. He says sparkling white grapes will come off the vines uh, during the week with table whites and reds to follow. And it's looking like a bumper vintage is ahead.
11: Yeah, well, we're picking on Tuesday for sparkling, which is exciting. Wow. So our sparkling, we do a, a blend of Chardonnay and Pinot Gris fruit. So we were busy fruit testing earlier this week across all the varieties. And yeah, the Pinot, the Shardy and the Pinot Gris are all coming along pretty quickly. So we'll pick for sparkling this week. I think on the whole, we're probably uh, a week to 10 days earlier than, than the last couple of years, um, which is, yeah, quite surprising for me. Last couple of years, we've had quite wet springs, but pretty uh, reasonable summers, not overly hot, but quite mild summers, but we had all their rainfall in the winter and the spring, whereas this year we've had it all in the summer. So it's been very wet and very hard work on the vineyard, um, keeping it disease free. Um, But yeah, I think, yeah, so I'm a little bit surprised it's so green and lush, and I just thought that with all the rain that we've had, um, not a lot of sunshine, but lots of humidity, um, I thought we'd be a little bit behind in our vintage. Um, compared to the average, but we're actually ahead.
6: Yeah, has there been any disease pressure or any pest pressure as a result of that rain and, and the humidity?
11: Um, well, not so much pests. I mean, the pest pressure comes when the fruit gets really ripe and if you've got quality fruit hanging in the vineyard, then you've just got to protect it with either gas guns or, um, or bird netting, which we've done and uh, doing today, finishing off today, um, here at Blue Gables. But um, certainly disease pressure's been more pronounced than... Previous years.
6: Do growers in Gippsland sell on their grapes or are most people growing and then producing their own wine?
11: Yeah, uh, Gippsland's in a great position. Um, we've really grown as a region in um, both volume and reputation, and, and the quality of our, of our, you know, we're all producing premium quality wines and um, selling at a premium price point. Um, there's not a lot of fruit exchanged um, in Gippsland. We've got about Uh, 40 active um, producers in Gippsland it's hard to bulk up your volume by buying fruit in if you still want to sell it as a Gippsland labelled wine so um, it's a bit of a supply that influences the supply demand curve. with with our wine industry or with our brand and reputation taking off so strongly um, it's really the only reaction to supplying or increasing your supply chain is to put more vines in within the region so that is happening but it's not a a turnkey operation so you know it's like we planted more vines here this time last year and um, put another 4,000 vines in more Pinot, Chardonnay and Shiraz but you know it's a minimum three years to get a to get a crop.
6: So is it the situation that demand for Gippsland wines is really outstripping supply of grapes at the moment?
11: Yeah absolutely um, very minimal fruits exchange within the region so you know there's people around Gippsland that have been you know, calling in other to see whether they've got any Blanc or Pinot. It, it happens every year, and and just the price point within our region of people. I don't think anyone's selling fruit outside of the region. The supply demand curve is changing the price point for fruit sales. You know, I used to be able to get um, Pinot for you know five years ago for probably two 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 and a half thousand dollars a ton. Now it's up to you know prices in excess of six thousand dollars a ton, which is Unheard of. It's more like you know Tasmanian Pinot prices, but it's happening in Gippsland. and It's been happening for a couple of years now. About 20% of those 40 active producers now that are planting new vineyards and extending their uh, their plot, so to speak, which is exciting. So, but as I said, it's not a not a turnkey operation that happens straight away. But a lot of we're attracting a lot of great young up and coming winemakers to our region that are now members of Wine Gippsland um, and there a lot of those are, are leasing existing vineyards so at the
6: moment that increase in volume is coming from established vineyards but s- slowly slowly some more people are moving in and yeah. establishing their own vines yeah
11: so if people are ex- expanding their own footprint um based on the on the demand for Gippsland wine but yeah there are new players that are being attracted to the industry that are buying up land and, and establishing new, new vines and, and i can see more, that happening more and more in the in the near future so yeah very exciting
6: so vintage 2024, looking pretty good?
11: Uh, yeah, it's... Um, I mean, that, the, it's the nature of farming every year is different. So um, I'm excited this year, really excited. We've got a lot of fruit. Uh, we need a lot of fruit. Um, I've had to work incredibly hard on the vineyard to, to keep it healthy with all the disease pressure that we've had. But, um, yeah, we're up off our Shiraz crop, for example. We've, we've harvested probably an average of six to seven tonne across the last... Um, 15 years but the last two years we've been down to 2.5 ton and this year I reckon we've got 10 ton hanging, out, hanging on the vine so that's exciting because that's our biggest selling wine um, but yeah we're probably um, slowly up on average for us um, across the board, across the six varieties um, so yeah it's looking really good and it's all, it's all healthy touch wood so hopefully everyone else in Gippsland is in the same boat
1: that's wine, Gippsland President Alistair Hicks speaking to Fiona Broom from his vineyard at Mafra West Upper. Mafra West Upper, not Upper Mafra West. Get used to that, work. It's a quarter to one here on the Country Hour. A uh, couple of your texts coming in, rainfall-wise. What have we got? 43 millimetres at Worale South. Uh, 280 millimetres since the 23rd of December, says this text as well. Hey, this on Tallow, which we had a, piece about the uh, record dollar figure worth of uh, tallow being exported, saying Warwick uh, farmers don't get paid for tallow or many other products from livestock, even though there is record exports at record prices. That's one of the the interesting things, though. That's the sort of trade-off in the kill um, costs and so forth, isn't it? Um, if you think there are record prices there, that gives processors the ability to pay more for your cattle, doesn't it? Um, but, yeah, interesting Looking at figures like that. We we're looking at figures just the other day, which I think will bring a story for you on the country uh, shortly about beef exports being at sort of record levels in terms of amount as well. But the story in that is that cattle prices fell by such a great amount that it made Australian beef and other products. Uh, price competitive in these markets against other major beef exporting nations. So is it a good story that we're exporting so much or is it a story of our prices falling at the same time? I suppose you can read into that what you would like. Uh, I better keep moving and we'll talk about something less controversial, being water here on the Country Hour right now. Uh, Eight landholders have planted 60,000 wetland plants in the last 18 months as part of the Wetland Revival Trust, which aims to balance the needs of agriculture and sustainability and give farmers better recognition of existing wetlands that they may have had on their property. Joe Bear runs about 4,000 merino ewes at Canary Island near Kerrang and says the project's been a game changer for her farm and her farming practices.
4: I've been always interested in wetlands. My uh, father built a wetland around sort of the millennial drought time and, and got a lot of enjoyment and well-being benefits from having that, especially during the drought. And then when I got married and moved up to Canary Island, we quickly, Quickly realised that uh, it's on a floodplain, and so historically that would have had lots of wetlands involved in that, and and also our farming is very much based around sustainable um, agriculture, regenerative agriculture, and utilising our natural pastures. So having a wetland riparian area sort of just fit with increasing diversity of, of plants, increasing diversity of animals, insects. So it just all fit with how we wanted to just work with nature. We actually purchased another a little block right on the Lawn River and we actually worked with an ecologist who walked that and he said using imagery and also his um, expertise said, look, I think there's some areas here that would have been wetlands but with the change of irrigation and uh, river flows. You know they're not getting any water anymore, and you and you could see that the red gums were really battling. And fortunately, um, Damien and the Wetland Revival Trust were um, got received some funding, and we've been working with them for the last probably eighteen months, really. So yeah, so long story. Um, that's how we've um,
12: we've got to where we are. You're managing a working farm. So what does that? that look like in terms of the maybe the changes that it's made to your farm or the progress that you've achieved so far?
4: Yeah so we've uh, we were doing two wetlands one that was a red uh, river red gum wetland and then the other one was more of a grassy plain sort of um, wetland so the river red gum wetland has been all done um, Damien and his team have revegetated it all and we've got water in it and it's been amazing, you know, uh, it's it's just, well, we just can't believe how lush it feels and much cooler. Um, obviously, it's a carbon sink as well. But, you know, just for our well-being, you know, we haven't really had a hot summer this year, but it's cooler when you're there. So, you know, we noticed the stock is sort of around that area and it just provides, a greater diversity of species, you know, insects especially, you know, with flies and everything. We've got dragonflies at the moment that are attacking the mosquitoes. So that's really good. So it just gives it a a more of a holistic feel to our farm. You know, we just feel that rather than using pesticides or chemicals, you know, maybe we just utilise a natural environment to, to help us work.
12: With this project, you've worked with, you know, contractors and local Indigenous leaders and other farmers as well. So what's that been like?
4: Oh, yeah. No, great. I think the doing, especially working on a natural environment project, you know, there's lots of laughs when you plant, you know, there's lots of connection, you know, when you're planting and just outdoors in nature, you know, it is amazing how you can just have really nice conversations. And I think in our area, you know, this area is known for wetlands and lakes and rivers and creeks, you know. So I think every farmer would, you know, has probably got sort of a little mini wetland or a lake that they'd like to do something with. So I think everyone just wants to learn more about it. I think that's probably our, our challenge is that a lot of landholders up here just don't know where to start. So that's where it's been so exciting for us to work with Damien and the Wetland Revival Trust um, to gain knowledge about how to work. And so I think that's what we enjoyed as well. There was a whole group of us learning together.
1: That is a farmer from Kerrang, well, near Kerrang, Canary Island near Kerrang, sheep farmer Joe Bear speaking there with Faith Tabaluyan about the wetlands on her property. 0467842722 is the text line if you'd like to send us a text. There's some breaking news too. Apparently, there's a 3.3 magnitude earthquake that has been recorded this hour north of Foster in Gippsland uh I I, my staff in Gipps, in the Gippsland office say they didn't feel it, but apparently at least 12 of you have, according to Geoscience Australia. So if, if you have any details on that, I'm sure Prue Bentley would like to hear about it on drive this afternoon. Uh, you should definitely get in contact. Another little earthquake, 3.3. That doesn't sound too big, but if you're close enough to it, I reckon you would have felt something, wouldn't you? Prue Bentley.
3: The situation on Wilson's Prom and the deer culling.
12: Hi there Travis.
5: They're doing a lot of aerial culling there. I've come across some carcasses that I can tell have been gut shot. I'm a deer hunter myself and I know that that deer would not have had a quick and easy test. It is a really big problem in a lot of our wilderness areas. What would you like to see happen instead? Well look we all know they need to be controlled but is that the answer? No I don't think so. Statewide Drive with Prue Bentley on ABC
2: Victoria.
1: Thank you. Time to head to markets to find out how cattle and sheep have been selling around our glorious state. Nicole Varley
9: is in Shepparton and has those details for you. Good afternoon, Nicole. Afternoon, Warwick. Well, the numbers here jumped off the back of the strengthening cattle prices. We had 1,535 exports and 700 trade cattle offered. Buyer numbers remained robust with exporters having a strong presence. There were more crossy type heavy steers about, but that still failed to, to, they still were well supported. There was some massive beef cows penned, but regardless of the quality of the prices, for, beef cows were 10 to 20 cents cheaper this week. The feed lotters and restockers held a strong hand in the market. Domestic processors were looking for the right article, and they pushed things along. Also, there were some excellent uh, supplementary fed yearling steers be muscled. Not many of them, but still, those here were well rewarded. Yearling steers made from three fifteen to three eighty five. Yearling heifers two eighty to three fifty six cents. The 400 to 500 kilo steers, 278 to 347. Five to 600 kilo steers, 270 to 339. 600 kilo plus bullocks, 298 to 312. Heavy Frisian steers, 220 to 276. And the heavy beef cows, 228 to a top of 278 cents. And the dairy portion, Up to 247. This is Nicole Barley from Shepparton.
1: Thank you very much for that, Nicole. Uh, Let's go to Wodonga and find out how cattle have been selling there. Leanne Dax has those details. Good afternoon, Leanne.
3: Good afternoon. Following a notable uptick in prices last week, there was a considerable surge in overall numbers with Wodonga agents yarding 3,260. Feedlots continued to wield significant influence across a diverse range of categories, the limited involvement of domestic buyers in the market showed up greatly and the quality of stock varied Widely across all categories. However, the market did experience a decline in intensity, particularly in the heavy export categories, witnessing a decrease of 20 to 30 cents. The bulk of heavy steers and bullocks fetched prices ranging from 285 to 340. Feeder steers, on the other hand, showed a modest increase of 3 cents, with premiums paid for Pacific lines of well bred medium weight steers, and they commanded prices of 285 to 390. Feeder heifer buyers were active, but at notably Lower levels resulting in sales ranging from 280 to 314. In the cow market, a price adjustment of 7 to 10 cents with heavy cows fetching 265 to 294. I'm Leanne Ducks for MLA.
1: Thank you very much for that, Leanne. On our earthquake around Foster, Brian at Venus Bay says that dollar around Foster uh, North was, and I did not feel a thing. Uh, Good information, anyway, Brian. Mustn't have been the biggest earthquake. And that's probably good when we're talking earthquakes, right? It's, it's nice to have the little talking point that there might have been one right around. But if you didn't feel it, it means hopefully there's not much damage. Let's go to the sheep and lambs and find out what the damage has been there. Uh, at Ballarat, Shiona Lamb has that information for us. Good afternoon, Shiona.
12: Good afternoon. Lamb numbers remain similar at 23,400 drawn for white lambs range from plain to very good with plainer secondary types throughout the yarding. The, the trade and extra heavy export lambs off of supplementary feed presented in excellent condition. Most of the usual buying group attended, not all were operating fully in a market that opened softer to a week ago where buyers were lacking intensity. Store lambs sold 4 to 10 cheaper. White and medium trade sold to 10 softer, while the secondary types were 12 to 17 dollars a head cheaper. Heavy trade sold 8 to 14 softer. Heavy export lambs sold to a top of $260 a head to be 13 dollars a head cheaper. Lambs back to the paddock sold 50 to $139 for lambs to, and lambs to feed on sold $127 to $166 dollars a head. Light trade lambs under 18 kilos to suit MK orders sold $87 to $149. Dollars. Young lambs in wool 18 to 26 kilos sold $130 to $183 dollars a head to average $680 to $720 cents a kilo. There are still 17000 sheep cheap to be sold. This is Shiona Lamb at Ballarat for MLA.
1: Thank you very much for that, Shiona. Just before we let you go on the Country Hour for another day, a reminder, this program is a podcast, so you can go back and listen to the information in it today. So i talking about the the Israel uh, court action as a decision to not allow the boat, the live export boat, to set sail again while it was stocked with sheep and cattle. We talked about that a lot at the start of this program, so you can go back and listen to all of that detail as if you de- download the Victorian Country Hour podcast, and I'll try and uh, get that up as soon as I can after the program uh, is finished today, and I will do so again. And if you're still looking for a dose of rural news or you prefer to read, you need to abc.net.au slash rural. There's a whole lot of rural news and information, including a lot of the details from the Federal Department of Agriculture on the reasons for it rejecting the the bid for a new licence to export those uh, cattle and sheep via the Cape of Good Hope on board a ship to Israel. And uh, you can read all about that and the reaction, which has come from industry. Some not too happy in terms of where that is going. You can read all about that at abc.net.au slash rural. Speaking of stories on there though, you might be interested in this as well. In South Australia, deer hunters are calling on the South Australian government to stop its aerial culling program of deer for a number of reasons. Uh, and one of which saying it might make it more difficult for them to hunt deer in the future. Well, can they come to Victoria? There's plenty of deer running around here and causing a lot of problems as well. You can read about all of that and more at the ABC Rural website. You can always get in contact with us. Send us an email, countryhour at abc.net.au. Want to hear from you where you think we should broadcast from this year. or your in-depth thoughts on a topic. Countryhour at abc.net.au. Have a great afternoon. It's coming up to one o'clock.